0: All right, good morning. So, the last couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, I talked about sort of culture and how we interact with the culture. Jimmy talked about, kind of walked through uh, Paul's sermon on Mars Hill and and what happened there and and sort of how he uh, created a culturally relevant message to the people using their own poets and, and talking to them in a language that they could understand about something that they didn't understand to try to bring Christ and the gospel to them. This morning, what I'm going to do is, Lord willing, is preach a message in that vein. An evangelistic message that we can, so for the church, the idea is to learn from it how to, and the kinds of things that you would use to be culturally relevant the themes that you would use to be culturally relevant to people. And for those who don't know Jesus, this is for you to listen to. And so the goal is that when this is done, we'll put this up on the Acts Church website. I assume that they'll put it on the True Life website. It'll be cut down, and this part won't be there, so that you can go, if you have somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that you can show them this and walk through it with them to help them understand the gospel. So that's the plan this morning, is to actually take it all the way down to be practical for you. So let's do that. Acts 17, 23 through the first part of 23. Let me get there. We're racing. I'm losing. There it is. All right. Don't worry, we're going to start the video right after this, so they're not going to see all this part. All right. Hey, I found it. Should have brought my glasses. All right, here we go. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now Greeks, according to the internet, which you know is always true, um, worshiped about, according to one guy's estimate on a comment I read, 3,142 gods and goddesses of some form or other. That's a lot to keep track of. I don't know how many of them knew all the names, uh, but they wanted to to make sure they didn't miss anybody. And so they had all these ones, and then it's like, just in case we didn't hit them all, we'll make this altar to the unknown God. Now, as a culture today, there's a lot of ways in which we sort of do the same thing. We sort of cover our bases. We cover our bases with people uh, to make sure that we're giving respect, not to all the right idols necessarily, but to all the right causes. Because if you miss one, watch out, watch out. I'm gonna read some, I'm gonna read some of the causes that are out there right now, and you're gonna notice there's kind of both sides of a lot of this. These are just some that I just came up with in my mind as I was going, and there's a lot, so there's a lot, racial justice or colorblindness, climate justice, climate denial, healthcare justice, anti-government healthcare, pro-vaccine mandates, anti-vaccine anything, pro-war. Anti-war, LGBTQIA+, that plus, that's the unknown God. That's the one that you would catch anything that we didn't say just so we don't offend, or pro-traditional marriage and gender roles, pro-equity, or pro-merit, pro-abortion, or pro-life, pro-gun, anti-gun, woke, anti-woke, critical race theory, anti-critical race theory, pro-immigration, anti-immigration. right? And of course, with all of those, tolerance and acceptance, unless you're on the wrong side of those, then you don't get that, right? and you dox and you cancel and you shame. So you better make sure that you're saying the right things when you're with the right people, right? So I live in the Northwest in the Portland area. I'm in the Washington side, thank God. Um, I don't know if you all have been to Portland lately, but it's, it's rough. You wanna go on a mission trip? It's, it's rough. Anyway, so in the Portland area, if I have a soda can and I don't put it in the recycling bin, they just execute you right there on the street. No trial, it's just it's over. But when I put a can in the recycling bin, when I'm in East Tennessee, they look at me funny and go, what are you from the West Coast or something? <laughs> what, what is that, right? You gotta be right, do the right thing around the right people, right? If you go to a PTA meeting, much bunch of PTA moms in New York City and say you don't have the vaccine, watch out, right? See what happens, they're gonna start getting their kids or running to the car, they're putting in like 15 masks. They don't know what to do, right? But if you go to East Tennessee with a bunch of homeschool moms and say, you do have the vaccine, whole different thing. They're dousing you with essential oils and, (laughs) right? Yelling things about Bill Gates and globalism and you're, right? You can't win, can't win. Some of you are laughing, some of you are like, "Mm, I don't know, it's all right. You guys can take it, you guys can take it. We're religious. We're religious like they were in our beliefs. We're religious just like the Greeks, just like the Athenians. And we're religious about more and more and more things. We're actually getting more religious, not less religious. It's just a different kind of religion. Merriam-Webster, not the dictionary, um, online, this is how they define religion. A personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Number two, the service and worship of God or the supernatural. But this is the interesting one. Number three, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. Now, think about the fact that religion can be either personal, you have your own thing going on, or institutionalized, there's a whole group of people with it. It can be about God, or it can just be about a cause principle, or systems of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. I also looked up the word ardor because I'm not that smart. It says, an often restless or transitory warmth of feeling. But then it says this, extreme vigor or energy, intensity, the ardor of a true believer, or zeal or loyalty. Now, are there any personal or institutionalized causes, principles, or systems of belief held to with zeal and intensity intensity and loyalty and faith right now in our culture. Yeah, like all those things that I read, right? All those things that I read have people who feel that way. They're religious about the things that I just read. And we are just becoming more and more religious. So if you're out there, understand, you may not be a Christian. You may not be any, you may think of yourself, in fact, we have this rising group of people in the country called nuns. It's not the people with the black, the the girls, you know, that's not what it's N-O-N-E-S, nuns. They have no affiliation. They do not consider themselves to be affiliated with any religious system. But I have not, in a very long time, actually met a nun, N-O-N-E, I don't think I've met another nun either um, lately, but but I have not met, because they do, they have religious fervor about whatever it is that they're into, right? On this side of the country, it tends to be one set of things. On the other side of the country, it tends to be another set of things. And in the church that I'm in, I've got sort of people on both sides on some of these different things, but they're religious about it. But being more religious clearly has not meant that we think better. It has not been, meant that we think more clearly. It has not meant that we get along better. It hasn't produced the things that we normally would associate with good religion. It's a whole different thing going on. But people wanna be religious, and here's why. Here's why. They wanna have a purpose. People wanna have a purpose. They want to think that their lives mean something. And they do. We want to do and we want to protect what we think is right. We wanna do what's morally right. All the people on all sides of these issues, it's very important for you to understand, tend to think, generally speaking, that they're doing what's morally right. On all the sides of those things that I read, those people think they're doing what's morally right, and they think that fighting for those things is giving them a purpose. They generally think that they're protecting the innocent and the vulnerable and the oppressed, and they're bringing peace and comfort and love into the world. The pro-life advocate wants to protect innocent babies. Many of you, hopefully, have a lot of ardor about that. You wanna protect the life of innocent babies, but the pro-choice advocate wants to protect the freedom of women. And that person thinks that that is something that they need to protect with ardor. They're not thinking they want to kill all babies because that's a great thing. They actually do believe that what they're fighting for is something good. I would disagree with that, but the point is that their religious fervor is about having a purpose, and it's about doing something they believe is right. The pro-immigration advocate wants to provide opportunities for those in need, for the poor and the oppressed in different countries. The anti-immigration advocate wants to make sure they're protecting the country where God has put them and the family that they're around and the people that they're around. Every, each one of them has an argument, a moral argument, a purpose argument, a religious argument for what they're doing. The climate justice advocate, they wanna properly steward the resources of the earth. The other side wants to make sure there's an economy and that people can have jobs. Both of those are coming from a place of where somebody's trying to do what's right. That's the intention behind it. Now, some of you right now are thinking, the person on the other side of my issue can't possibly be thinking about what's right. They're evil, they're bad people. Now here's the thing, you're wrong about the fact that they think they're doing what's right. You're right about the fact that they're evil bad people. You're right about that because all of us are, all of us are. We all are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now there are correct answers to all those questions of all those things that I read. There are, some of them we know. Some of them we don't have enough information yet to know depending on what the thing is, but there are correct answers but my point here this morning isn't to judge those answers. All of those things could be a sermon. I could go through every one of them, but that's not the point. The point is that each side is advocating for what they think is right. That each side has a religious fervor for what they think is right. Listen to the first part of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He writes this, everyone has heard people quarreling. Sometimes it sounds funny and sometimes it sounds merely unpleasant. But however it sounds, I believe we can learn something very important from listening to the kinds of things they say. They say things like this. How do you like it if anyone did the same to you? That's my seat. I was there first. Leave him alone. He isn't doing you any harm. Why should you shove in first? Give me a bit of your orange. I gave you a bit of mine. That's how I talk all the time. He's English, so it's it's different. (laughs) Come on, you promised. People say things like that every day educated people as well as uneducated, and children as well as grown-ups. Now, what interests me about all these remarks is that the man who makes them is not merely saying that the other man's behavior does not happen to please him. He is appealing to some kind of standard of behavior, which he expects the other man to know about. It looks in fact very much as if both parties had in mind some kind of law or rule of fair play or decent behavior or morality or whatever you like to call it about which they really agreed, and they have. If they had not, they could not quarrel in the human sense of the word. Quarreling means trying to show that the other man is wrong and there would be no sense in trying to do that unless you and he had some sort of agreement as to what right and wrong are. Our culture is very religious. If you're an unbeliever, you don't believe in Jesus, you're watching this right now or you're in this room or whatever, you are very religious intensely, zealously, loyally connected to causes and principles and systems of belief that you hold, that you hold. But we've lost something. We've lost the anchor. As a culture, we've lost the foundation, the foundation of why we hold to these causes, why we have these principles and systems of belief, what's behind them. We simply don't know the anchor, we don't know him. We don't know him as a culture, and that is God. So Paul said to the Athenians in Greece almost 2,000 years ago, and I say to you, the last part of that verse that we just read, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. The one thing we still seem to all agree on, for the most part, is that we're things like pro-children. Most people are pro-children, pro-love, pro-justice, depending on how you define each one of those things. The problem is that we want to hold views about love and justice and peace and joy and good relationships or even the idea of good in general while we deny their only possible source. Their only possible source, which is God. In school, we teach an atheistic view of creation and biology in our science class. But then in history class, we teach that it was right and good to fight the Germans in World War II. Those two things can't both be true. You see, if we have an atheistic view, in other words, the universe just happened, because that happens all the time. You always see things popping into existence, right? But the universe just happened, right? And then all, all the people, we all came from, you know, different things that became something else, that became something else. If that's true, then there is no such thing as the Germans being right or wrong. We could only just prefer or not prefer what they were doing. So if you teach the one and you teach the other, you got a conflict. In health class, we can teach that, and this is according to Science Daily, males upper bodies on average have 75% more muscle mass and 90% more strength than females. Sorry, ladies, that's the way it is. But then in gym class, we say that the body has nothing to do with gender and the males who don't want to be males can play sports with the females. We got a problem there. On one side, you're saying one thing, On the other side, you're saying something different and they conflict with each other. Now, when you hold mutually exclusive or conflicting views at the same time, you have taken a wrong turn in your thinking. And that will always happen when you don't start with the right foundation. And the only right foundation is God. He's the only right foundation. And what he has revealed to us in the scriptures and in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, without a way, without Jesus, we're just wandering in darkness because we don't know the way. Without the truth, we're just ignorant and afraid because ignorance causes fear. And there is no life in darkness and ignorance and fear, but there is life in Jesus Christ. You have to understand, without God, there is no reason to believe that any of the things you think are right are actually right, or that there even even is any such thing as right. There is no reason to believe that there's any way or purpose for your life if you don't believe in God, if you don't understand who he is. Without God, there can be no right, there can be no wrong, no nothing in those terms. You can't be right about the evil of racism any more than you could be wrong about it. It just would be a thing. It just would be a thing. Atheism leaves no room for purpose. Justice, love, and of course agnosticism, which a lot of people have these days, is just the coward's atheism, right? I'm not saying I believe in God. I'm not saying I don't. Well, you're saying you don't. That's what you're saying, right? There must be a standard. If you want to be religious, and you all are, whether you're a Christian or not, you are. If you wanna be religious, you have to believe that there is a standard or else the things that you're religious about have no meaning. And the purpose that you're trying to create through believing those things has no real purpose. There has to be a standard and the standard has to come from God. If there is a moral law, there has to be a moral law giver. You can't just have principles that float in the air. That would be meaningless, right? There's no such thing. And if there is a moral lawgiver, you are responsible to him. And that's obvious. Pearl Jam writes in the song Love Boat Captain, because to the universe, I don't mean a thing. And there's just one word I still believe, and it's love. They realize that the world and the universe are just cold realities. These are not Christians, probably atheists, or at least agnostics. But they realize that those are cold realities, and they cannot do anything for them, and the universe does not care anything about them. That's, that's atheism, right? In reality, atheism is the rejection of the one true God. The one true God. So you can be an atheist and be a Mormon. You can be an atheist and be a Muslim. You can be an atheist and be a incorrect or an unorthodox christian because you don't believe you're atheistic about what's actually true. And so it's extremely important that we understand who the one true god is, the god of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, father, son and the holy spirit. We have to understand that we have to believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of the father, or at some level or another you are an atheist. So many people will say I believe in god, but when you say what do you mean by that and they go I'm spiritual, like, yeah, well, you're religious, but you don't understand. And in some ways you really just are an atheist because you don't believe in the one true God. So Pearl Jam sticks with the one thing that they still believe in. The same thing John Lennon wrote with the Beatles about, all you need is love. Why does that resound? Why does that resonate with our culture? And yet there seems to be more hate and anger than ever. Because almost everybody agrees with Pearl Jam and the Beatles. Love. All we need is love. And yet you see less and less and less of it as hearts grow colder and colder and colder. And I'll tell you why. Because we want love, but we want to be in charge. We want love, but we also want to do whatever we want. And the problem is, is that's not love. Love comes from one place. It comes from God. Let's look at 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 4 of 1 John. If I'm just going to read it off of this. Bigger words. It says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now listen, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might, have, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Down to verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. There is only one source of love. There is only one source of love and that's God. Without God, we would not know what love is. We can want it and we can say all we need is love, but we can't do anything about it if we refuse to acknowledge and worship God. It is only through him and his word. Only through him and his word that he has given us that we can know him and that we can know real, true love. We know this from our own experiences. We've seen the word love used for an awful lot of things, right? We've seen people leave their families because love. They were moved by love. We've seen people abuse their children and call it love. We've seen all kinds of terrible things and evils in the world, world because of love. What people call love. Saying the word love does not create a standard that actually is love. If you believe in love and that love is real and that it means something, then you must believe in God. Because he is the only, he's not only the source, he's the only possible source of love. He is love. Jesus Christ showed us love. God showed us his love by dying for us, by dying for our sins. And he did it when we didn't love him. When we were rebels against God, he died for us. It is the opposite of the story you hear in biology class. In biology class, you hear about natural selection. The idea is that the strong survive and take advantage of the weak so that they can survive, and the weak, they die off. But God did something completely opposite of that for us. Right? He's all powerful. He is the fittest that there is, and yet he died for us. That's a strange thing. He did not count his life as precious. He counted you as precious. That's love. That's love. Glenn Scrivener writes in his book, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality. He writes this. If natural selection means the survival of the fittest and the sacrifice of the weakest, Christianity is about the sacrifice of the fittest, Jesus Christ, for the survival of the weakest, us. That's the real story. And in fact, nobody gets teary-eyed about the story of evolution. Nobody's going, it's so beautiful. <laughs> See how they eat each other and then they do that. Nobody's doing that. Right? But everyone resonates with the love that Jesus Christ has shown. So much so that his death and his resurrection changed the world. Changed the world. That's love. When you fight with religious ardor for the beliefs that you advocate for. You are fighting for what you think is right. You are fighting for what you think is love. But all of it comes from a culture that so many of us don't understand has been saturated with the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. The culture has been saturated with the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. All the people who hold these views and causes and beliefs with religious ardor actually are borrowing from Jesus. That's where the idea comes from. And that's because he did not stay dead. It's because on the third day he rose again, the resurrection. He defeated death and hell and Satan and he proved that he was Lord and God. And it's because of his resurrection that you even think about things like equality. Because Jesus was the one who taught it. No one in the first century was teaching equality. Okay, it was not, that word would have been laughable in the first century. Okay, Aristotle and the philosophers and whatever. I won't tell you the things that they said about women or the people who they saw as under them. Equality was not a thing. Why do we talk about it? The reason we talk about it is because Jesus Christ died and rose again. That's why we talk about it. He has saturated the world with these ideas that we all use while rejecting the one who has given them to us. It's because the resurrection power of God in Jesus Christ that you care about your neighbor or about the immigrant. You think that people were caring about that prior to Jesus or the widow or the orphan or health care or education for all, all of those ideas. Those are things Christians brought because they believe in Jesus Christ and because of the resurrection power that he had. It is the teachings of the Bible, the word of God, where you find the morality that you agree with. No matter which of these things you're advocating for, you're gonna end up tracing it back to what's in the scripture, and you will not consistently find it anywhere else. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, the things that you believe are right, you would have to trace back their moral family back to the scripture. That's where it is. You certainly cannot find a God who loves you and values you and made you in his image and likeness anywhere but in the word of God. You're not going to find it. A God who died for you and gives grace to the humble. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But God who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, which is the crazy part. He didn't love us because we were good. He loved us when we were dead in trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raise us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There is no other religion or system or holy book or anything ever in the world that says that, except for the scripture. The one thing that we know in our hearts is true because each one of us knows that no matter how much we advocate for those things I listed earlier, whichever side of them you're on, no matter how much you do it, you are still broken. And the only one that shows real love is Jesus Christ and that he will save you by grace because you can never advocate enough for enough causes to make up for the harm that you've caused, for the rebellion that you've had against a holy God who is the reason that you even believe what's right and wrong. It's God who can save you through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's God who can give you a purpose and meaning for eternity. The next part of that passage I just read, for we are his workmanship. This is verse 10, 2.10, Ephesians 2.10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, walk in them. God has prepared for you a plan. You want purpose. Look at the generations that are in the world today. Look at the Gen Z, the millennial generations. They are crying out saying, I have no purpose, so I guess I'll get on TikTok. I heard yesterday that there's like a medical issue that's happening, primarily with young girls, where they've got so much TikTok that they're watching that their face starts like moving around. The TikTok tick, that's what we called it. I don't know what the official thing is. But that's a thing, why are they doing it? Well, some of it's kind of funny, but other than that, they're doing it because they're saying, we've got no purpose. We've got no purpose, there's nothing for us to gain. So I guess I'll sit here and do this and snipe at the people who say the things I don't like. Right? Where's the grit? Where's pushing forward? That only comes from believing that you have a purpose. And you will never believe that if we continue to stuff down the throats of our young people the idea that the universe is nothing more than a happy accident. Can't have a purpose in that. Can't have a purpose in that. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for you. This is the only place where you're going to find it. Before the world was created, God knew you. Whether you believe in him or not doesn't change that. He knew you and he prepared beforehand works that you might walk in them. That's an adventure. That's a purpose. And that's a God who loves. The son of God who rose from the dead is the word of life through whom all things were created according to the gospel of John, including you. Now, if Jesus didn't do these things, and he's not God, and he didn't rise from the dead, then I agree. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's no love. There's no forgiveness. There's no grace. There's only death if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Listen to what Paul says. or writes through the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 20. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. What are we doing here? We could be watching football not here in the East Coast because it doesn't start till later, but in the West Coast, they can watch football whilst the service is going on, okay? You could be doing that. I mean, I know it's over. There was a Super Bowl or something. I don't know. I don't follow hockey. In any case, we are, we're the most pitiable. We are wasting our time if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Down later in the chapter, 1532, the last part of the verse, if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's the reality. The reality is, if Christ did not rise from the dead, you are wasting your time here. But you're also wasting your time advocating for any of those things I read earlier. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, you're dead in your sins. Or there is no God and we're just hurtling through space as pieces of meat going around doing whatever and it doesn't matter what you do. See what you can get away with, right? Had a lot of clients who would do that. See what they get away with just depending on how much they could pay me. And I could get away with a lot. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. It's not true. It wasn't like that. (laughs) The scientists and the worldly philosophers of this age can't tell you anything about the things that you really care about. You need to understand that. The scientists and the worldly philosophers of this age cannot tell you anything about the things that you truly and really care about. Who cares if a scientist and an engineer can make an iPhone if when I use it to call my mother and tell her I love her, that's a meaningless statement? What difference does it make? It's not meaningful to go to the moon if it's not meaningful to go to a wedding, right? Science doesn't solve problems that we care about. The things you care about, you care about love, justice, peace. You care about the fact that the people in your life actually care about you. You care about doing what is right. Those things are all meaningless without the resurrection. Those things are all meaningless without God, without Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. All of those things are meaningless. But praise God, he did rise from the dead. Praise God, he does love you. Praise God, he did make you in his own image and like this. Praise God, he does have a purpose for you. Praise God, there is right and wrong and that you can live in right. Praise God for all of that. What are we looking for? We are looking for God, for love, for true acceptance, for true purpose. And all of that is only found in Jesus Christ. Now, some people out there will say, no, no, I can find all of that. In this thing, or in that thing, or in the other thing. And all I can say to you is that no one ever has. And no one ever will. I will put my money with the one who rose from the dead. No one else is going to show you that. Jesus is not one choice among many. He is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If he is not then there's nothing because you won't find the things you believe in anywhere else. You won't find them anywhere else except for right here in the word of God. And if you start to question this, and that's what some people do because they don't like all the things in here. I don't know if you've noticed that. Some people don't like the things that are in here. I'm one of them sometimes because it's like, but I want to do that thing. But he says, I can't do that thing. And so I got to make a decision. Is Jesus Lord or am I? Uh, he is Right. But if I go, well, what I'll do is I'll interpret this and I'll come up with a thing to not really follow this or that or the other thing. What happens is this falls into dust in your hands and you have nothing and you have no standard. So a guy at my church, believe it or not, at Axe Church named Dr. David Robinson, who's not related to me. We have three. My dad is David Robinson. This guy is David Robinson. I'm David Robinson. We have a lot of David Robinsons at my church, but that's what he says. He says, look, the scripture will fall to dust in your hands. There has to be a standard. There has to be a standard. Even the things that you're wrong about are based on beliefs that you are right about. Give you an example. You're wrong to believe that abortion is morally okay, but you are right that women are equal in value to men and that their rights are important. That thing you are right about You just found the wrong way to solve it. You found the wrong way to solve it. But that's only true about women if they were made in the image and likeness of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's only true about women if, in fact, what God says about not killing the innocent, children and wombs, is also true. You can't have one without the other. You can't take this piece and not that piece. And you gotta understand that we're all sinners. Many of us in this room, probably, according to statistics, have either had an abortion or encouraged an abortion or whatever. Praise God that he's gracious, that we don't have to live in the shame of that. But only through Jesus Christ can we find that grace. If you get rid of God and try to retain your moral beliefs, it doesn't work. You can't do that any more than you can argue with God about what is moral and what isn't. C.S. Lewis says this in *Mere Christianity. There is a difficulty about disagreeing with God. He is a source from which all your reasoning power comes. You could not be right and he wrong any more than a a stream can rise higher than its own source. When you are arguing against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you are sitting on. I see this all the time. Somebody wants to advocate religiously for a particular thing. And maybe the scripture is against that thing. But the reason they believe it is is maybe a different moral truth that does come from scripture. They've just got it wrong. And they go, I don't care what the scripture says. And that's like cutting off the branch they're sitting on. Well, then what you're saying, the, the argument that you're making has nothing behind it because there's no standard behind it. You need God to believe anything that you believe. You can't continue to believe those things and reject him. And why would you want to? Why would you want to? He's right there for you. He's right there for you right now, as Paul told the people on Mars Hill in Acts 17, 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. John Meyer is waiting on the world to change. But God... Is waiting on your heart to change. And he's been patient. He was so patient with me. He's been so patient with you. He's already changed the world and provided eternity, everlasting life for those who believe in him. This is important, regardless of your past. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done. He died and rose again, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He has been patient with you, but now is the time. As Paul also preached to the men at Athens, and I say to you today, 17, 30 through 31, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. There is no question that the time is now. That God has been patient. And he's continued to be patient. But the time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Stop running. You are not smarter Than God. You cannot create your own religion. You have to borrow from God to get the morality that you even have, to justify anything that you believe. Stop borrowing a piece of the story and rejecting the author. It makes no sense. Now is the time to become a son or a daughter of the king. You're not God. You can't create God for yourself. Just so you know, all attempts at that have failed. From ancient tries of that to modern tries of that, they have all been a miserable failure. We thought that we were going to bring in utopia. In the modern age, what we call the modern age, it doesn't mean modern like you'd think of that. It's actually from somewhere around the 1600s to about, let's call it 1950. People, you know, science was getting big. People thought, we're going to figure this out. We don't need God. We're gonna get smarter and smarter and we're scientifically gonna figure out how we can all get along. We can all work together to create this utopia. And that went real great, right up until World War I. We killed millions of people over nothing. And then they started to question that and be like, I don't don't know if we're gonna figure it out. And then not too long after that, we killed I don't know what percentage of the world in World War II. And then people go, okay, we're not gonna figure it out so everything's meaningless. And then you have these existential crises. People wondering, why do I exist? I don't know what to do, but the answer has always been the same. You're not gonna figure it out. God has already figured it out. Stop thinking that you can do it without him. Coming to the Lord is just simply surrender to the one who created you and loves you. Every one of us has had this with our parents. I got it, you know, two years old. Got it figured out. No, 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 mom, I've got this. All right. My son, Ethan, who I'm leaving here with you, and y'all better take care of him. He's playing drums today. When he was, I don't know, eight or nine years old, we lived here. He decided he was going to go do his own thing. So he got a backpack, he put a box of Cheez-Its in there, got on his bike, and he was out. He's gone. We found him. That's why he's still here. He's not, the story doesn't end with, yeah, we've never seen him again. He, he figured it out, right? Putting in his mind, at the time, he's figured it out. And of course, he knows now that's silly. He didn't have it figured out. You know, you need more than cheese. It's probably on that journey. But many of you were probably there that night. We were looking for him. Anyway, the idea is we're all like that. What Ethan did that day is what we all do all the time. I've got it, God. I've got it figured out. I don't need to submit to you, I can figure this out. You can't. The world can't. You wonder why you get on Twitter, why you're getting on Twitter, I don't know, but you're getting on Twitter, you're getting on YouTube, you're getting on whatever, and all you see is, ah, they're all so mad at each other. Everybody's upset, you can't win. You're either the worst person in the world or you're in the club, until you do the slightly wrong thing, then you're the worst person in the world again. You think of somebody like Nancy Pelosi, who was the darling of like the San Francisco area and was, and was all that kind of, but then she wasn't quite liberal enough for them and they took her name off of a school. Like Nancy Pelosi, like that's not good enough for you San Francisco, like what do you want? But that's the point, it can never be enough. You can never feed that religion enough. You will always eventually fall off, not be accepted, not believe the right things, not keep up with all the plus on whatever. Because there's only one truth. And we try to find meaning and morality and religion that does not include Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his death and resurrection, the grace that he offers. We are wasting our time. And if that's you, you are wasting your time. But praise God for his grace. He is here for you. If you want to live in the joy and the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit, to conquer fear and to give you hope, now is the time to follow Jesus. John 3, 16, you'll see it at every football game being held up by some guy with a clown wig on. I don't know who that guy is, but he's doing the thing. I'll give him that. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know if you quite get it, People get mad at God because there's, there's things in the world that are rough, but what more could he do than come himself, live as a human? When he created, every person that he walked by, he created. Every person that jeered at him and mocked him, he created. By him and through him, all things were created and nothing that has been made was made that was not made by the son of God. And here he walks on the earth that he created. Like I made that rock, I made that tree right? I made you. And can you imagine the, the level, the level to which he had to bring himself down so that he could die for the very people who treated him poorly? You think you know what love is? That's love. And why did he do it? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did it for you. Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death. We already know, we read it earlier, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So our wages, what we deserve, what we've earned by that, death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. When we use the word gospel, that's what we're talking about. That's the gospel that God did everything, everything he could do for you and is asking almost nothing from you but for you to love the one who loved you first. First John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right now, in this place, online, wherever you are this morning, you can be completely cleansed, white and clean, by simply confessing, repenting. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Can you believe that we can wake up every day and do that? You're not going to get that with any other religion. Every other religion, you do the wrong thing and you're going down a thing or whatever. You got to do these things to get it back or whatever it is. Nope. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, You will be saved. Not you might be saved. Not you'll be saved until you mess up again. You will be saved. That's love. That's love. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Make Jesus Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead. You're you're saved. Once and for all. Those who, who Jesus has in his hand, who the Father has given him, they're not going out. That's the gospel, that's love. That's the thing that colors all that you think about what is right in your religious fervor for all the things you're advocating for, whatever they are, you're doing all of that traces back, all the roots of that, go back to what Jesus Christ has said. You may have gotten it wrong somewhere along the way, but if you have a foundation, you can go back to that and get it right. More importantly, you have forgiveness for having gotten it wrong. And we all need that. That's it. God's here for you. That yearning in your heart, if you have never become a Christian, that you're feeling, that is the drawing of the Holy Spirit. If you're online, if you're watching this later, if you're in this room, and there's just that yearning in your heart, that ardor, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you. Don't reject God. 2 Corinthians 6 2. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, humbly I come before you, Lord. What you have done for me is beyond description. It's awesome. It's amazing. I was a wicked man deserving death and knew it. And you pulled me up from the mire and the filth and you cleaned me from all unrighteousness. Jesus, you came to me and you saved me and all that I ask with all of my heart is that you might do that for people now, today, Those that have wanted to do what's right, that have gotten up thinking, I want to do what's right. I want to have purpose that you have shown them through your word this morning. That they do have purpose. That you have shown them through your word this morning that you are love and that you love them. And they can look at the love that we have in this room, in the rooms at Acts Church, in churches all over the world the love that we have that instantly Christ followers have for one another, even when they don't know each other and we mention the name of Jesus and we love one another and that is the proof of your resurrection. That is a proof, Father, that you love us. And I pray that they would see it. And I pray that as we're at the end of the age and anyone who has access to the internet knows that, we are at the end of the age and God, I would pray for revival. Revival, Lord, bring as many into the kingdom as possibly will come, Lord. In the scripture, you say that there will come a time when the time of the Gentiles is done. There will come a time when the restrainer, your Holy Spirit and the church will be taken out of the way and then it all goes downhill. God, the day of salvation is now. Please let people call upon your name while you may be found for them. God, draw people to yourself and then do a powerful work in them. Let us see them baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let us see them taught to obey all that you have commanded that we might have, that they might have the joy and the peace that overcomes everything, Lord. I walk around and fear wants to get me. And all I have to do is continuously put my mind on you, cast my cares on you because you care for me. Cast my anxieties on you and the peace that surpasses understanding guards my heart and mind in you, Christ Jesus. They don't have that and they need that. And I pray they may come to you. Love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Now I'm gonna ask that if you don't know Jesus, you are not following Jesus. You haven't done that. I'm gonna ask that that you would, this morning, find one of the elders, find me, find somebody here at this church. Preston's right over here, I don't know if which other, Rusty's over here, Shane up here. Somebody, and just say, I need to know Jesus. I need, today is the day of salvation, I need to get this right. If you're at home and you're one of the, the groups at Acts Church, talk to the person that's leading your group, get that right today. If you're watching this online, you can, you know, if you're on this side of the country, email, or email True Life Church. If you're on our side of the country, on the West Coast, email Axe Church. We want you to know Jesus. I love you all. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you.